Well, this morning, um, I'd like to um, just read this to you. No need to turn. This isn't my message here this morning, but it's something that I want to talk about for a few minutes before we get into the message. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 says in verse number 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Obviously, this is an admonition to those that are in ministry, preachers, pastors, and so forth. But I want to take just a few minutes here this morning and esteem and uh, give some honor to some people to whom it is due. Uh, We just... um, a few days ago this past week, Sister Evelyn Childress had a birthday. Uh, Sister Carol TV Paws got a birthday coming up, and I believe today is Miss Artis' birthday. Is that correct, Miss Artis? Today? Not today? Yesterday? I'm sorry? Miss Dottie. Well, I was getting to her, but I thought that I... So, okay, all right, well, let's forget about Miss Artis. Miss Dottie has a birthday today, is that correct? All right, I got that mixed up. And uh, so uh, we appreciate all of you ladies, and I would like to put uh, all of you preacher's wives on the spot and ask you to stand, whether, it's, whether you're in full-time ministry or not. If your husband is a preacher, please stand up. Now, thank you. Thank you, missus. All right, praise the Lord. And I want the whole congregation to just look around and to see these uh, ladies that have supported their husbands as their husbands have labored in the ministry. And I want everybody to give them a big hand. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. I know that they say behind every great man is a great lady. And uh, I'm not sure what my wife thinks of that, but uh, she's a great uh, lady uh, regardless of whether I'm a great man or not. But I appreciate my wife and her support of my ministry and her faithfulness. You know, this modern view of ministry, uh, I can remember, some of you remember the Yellow Pages. Some of this younger generation don't even know what Yellow Pages are. But uh, I I remember you'd go through the Yellow Pages and you'd look at different churches in your area and you'd see some of the larger ministries would have like full-page colored ads, and they'd have a picture of the pastor and his wife, and the caption underneath would say, pastors, plural, and then it'd have the man and his wife. And I'd look at that, and I'd just go, that's just not scriptural. Pastors' wives are not pastors. They are wives of pastors. And I'm not diminishing that role. I am elevating that role to its scriptural place, just because A lady doesn't have a title of responsibility doesn't mean that she doesn't have a very powerful place of influence and ministry. And so thank you, all of you preacher's wives, for the support and uh, all that you've done to help your your husbands in their ministry. And uh, I am certain, without any shadow of a doubt, that the Lord will bless you for your faithfulness, even though sometimes you go through the same troubles and trials that your husband does, but nobody really thinks of the pastor's wife. And sometimes they just go through it silently and invisibly, and they're bearing the same burdens, but then somebody gets up in prayer meeting and says, pray for our pastor and all that he's going through, and the wife's sitting there, it's like, 
you have no idea what I'm going through too. And so um, I wanted to just take a few minutes to honor all of our preacher's wives. All right, let's take our Bibles now. Go to Jeremiah chapter number 48. Jeremiah chapter 48. This is kind of a springboard text and concept. Uh, We've been very doctrinal here the last really five, six weeks, and so we're going to shift gears just a little bit here this morning on more of a practical basis. Jeremiah chapter 48, and look with me if you would at verse number, um, actually I, I put on the screen verse 43, but I'd like to back up to verse number 42. I think it would be helpful. In verse 42 it says, and Moab shall be destroyed from being a people because he hath magnified himself against the Lord. Fear and the pit and the snare shall be upon thee, O inhabitant of Moab, saith the Lord. He that fleeth from the fear shall fall into the pit, and he that getteth up out of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For I will bring upon it, even upon Moab, the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. And I'd like to preach to you this morning on the snares and consequences of our decisions. Join me as we ask the Lord's blessings on this time that we have together. Our Father in heaven, it's good to be in your house. Thank you for these that have come. Thank you for those that are listening through live stream. Lord, we ask a special blessing upon each and every one of us today. As we open up the Word of God, I pray that it would be received as it is indeed the Word of God. Help me to faithfully communicate clearly and concisely the message that you've given me, this message that you've put upon my heart, and I pray that it would make a difference in our lives, in our families, and Lord, we certainly, certainly need this message in our nation. Please bless us now. We pray if anyone under the sound of our voice is not saved, we pray, God, that you would convict them and show them their lost condition. Show them that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, Lord, as the solution to our sin problem. And I pray, Father, for every child of God that's listening, God, that we would be warned, Father, that we would understand how necessary it is to be cautious and to not Uh, be presumptuous, but Father, to be careful about every major decision that we make in life. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Moab here received a snare from the Lord, and we saw some severity of this snare. Obviously, God is declaring judgment upon the nation of Moab. If you're not familiar with who Moab is, it was a nation that came. They were basically cousins of Israel. And I don't have time to go into Abraham's nephew Lot and his two daughters and the incest and so forth. But bottom line is the nation of Moab and the nation of Ammon were what we would consider distant cousins to Israel. And yet Moab was a, became a very wicked nation. And Moab's history is a history of making bad decisions. You know, in the last six months since this pandemic has come, uh, has become, I don't even know how to say that, ever since we've been dealing with this pandemic, I've noticed a lot of 
poor decisions, if you will. And we've seen, certainly, some consequences of some poor decisions, not only with the pandemic situation. You know what? That's probably what frustrates me with this pandemic as a pastor, as a leader, is having to make decisions knowing that the decisions that I make could have some very dire consequences on other people. And that's a pressure that I certainly don't enjoy. And that's why prayer and that's why wisdom and trying to do the best that we can and forget about what everybody else is doing is so important. But we've seen all kinds of decisions in the last six months. I think about the decisions that happened in Minnesota not long ago. I mean, can you, can you not agree with me that the consequences have basically spread like wildfire across our nation just because of the decisions of a couple of individuals that took place in Minneapolis, Minnesota? One man made a decision to, um, to, uh, to take lethal doses of fentanyl and then resist arrest. Another police officer made a decision to pin down that man for too long, and the man ended up losing his life. And, and really, when you look at that, we have no way of knowing whether that was with malice of forethought, whether there was racial motive. It was certainly what we'd have to go back, hindsight being 2020, and say, well, there was some really bad decisions that took place on that fateful day. And I don't even know the tally, but how many people, how many innocent lives are in eternity today because of the decisions that were made on that very day? Folks, there can be dire consequences in the decisions that we make. In Deuteronomy 23, verse number 3, The Lord says here regarding the nation of Moab, he says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Why? Because they met you not with bread and water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pathor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou, watch this, thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity all the days forever." You know what? God is not mean-spirited. God is righteous. God is holy. And you know what? If this is what God said about Moab, I guarantee you Moab deserves every single bit of it and then some. I mean, God doesn't chronicle all of the wickedness of this nation. He just gives a couple of highlights and says, you know what? This is what I'm holding against Moab forever. They had their opportunity to be a blessing to my chosen people. They made a bad decision, and they're not even a nation today. The average person that is an unbeliever and doesn't read the Bible, if you talk to them about Moab, they go, what's that? 
They wouldn't even know about Moab as a nation. And so there are snares and consequences with the decisions that we make in life. The word snare, or forms of it, appear 67 times in the Scripture. It's a concept that God often uses to describe the consequences of our decisions. A basic snare, and listen, snares as a trap have been around for since ancient times. Now, a modern snare today, as you see on the screen, is typically made out of wire because wire is a better material than rope or cord or string. But cords and string will certainly work as a snare. It's basically just a, uh, it's a piece of cord or wire with a loop made in it. One end is secured to an immovable object, maybe tied to a tree or a rock. And the other end where the loop is, there's a hasp. And that hasp is either tied or there is a mechanical device that is designed so that when an animal gets inside of that loop and begins to pull on it, the loop begins to tighten. And because of that hasp, the loop will not, will never get loose without somebody actually moving it to loosen it. It'll only get tighter. I've provided a picture for you of a snared coyote, and you kind of see how this snare works. The animal gets caught inside, whether it's its head or even behind the legs, and literally the animal will struggle and pull, and the more that it tries to get free, the tighter that that loop will become. We had a gentleman in our church in Idaho that was an avid trapper, and he told me the story. He said, literally... He has seen coyotes that cut themselves in two, struggling against the snare. I'd like to say and remind all of us here this morning that the devil knows your weaknesses and your tendencies. Proverbs 1.17 says, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. The devil doesn't come along and say, Hey, here's my snare, walk in it. No, he places it along the way where he knows that you're probably going to go. And he is a student of human nature. And he knows us. You know, that's kind of scary to think. I know that God knows me better than I know myself. But you know, probably the devil knows me better than I know myself as well. You know, when I look in the mirror, a lot of times my view of myself is based on my ego, But the devil's view of me is based upon my behavior that he's been observing and chronicling for all the years of my life. And so we've got to understand that there are some very real snares. Now, some animals are easier to snare than others. Uh, You know, the coyote is fairly easy to snare. Rabbits are fairly easy to snare. But then you take things like Animals like wolves, extremely difficult to snare. Uh, Wolverines are extremely difficult to trap. Whereas you take the, the little, um, the little weasel, uh, the mink, the, the, what they make fur coats out of, or at least they used to before the environmentalists took over. That was kind of a joke. 
They didn't really take over, did they? No. Okay. All right. So <laughs> the mink, you can trap a mink just by simply laying a trap and just covering it with chicken feathers. And that mink will come along and it'll see those chicken feathers waving in the wind. And that mink will come running and it will dive right into the middle of those chicken feathers without even sniffing around and checking it out. It drives that mink that crazy that it would jump right into that trap. Well, you know, there is such a thing. I mean, when it comes to snaring animals... The difference between those that are easy to snare and those that are difficult would be desire and appetite versus intelligence and caution. You take the mink. The mink just is going by desire and appetite. It wants that chicken and it dives right in. Whereas the wolf and the wolverine and uh, other uh, creatures are, they are more intelligent and they are more cautious. You know, whenever you see a large, older animal in the wild, one thing that, that we know about that critter, if you will, uh, it was intelligent. In order to survive and to get as large and old as it is, it had to be intelligent and it had to be extremely cautious. As believers, we know that the devil has snares. We know that the devil has devices, and yet the average believer today lives their life without even thinking that the devil might be laying a trap and that the consequences of those traps, if we fall into them, they may be extremely hurtful they may be extremely fatal, not only spiritually, but also physically. And so I've got three things for you here this morning that we need to be cautious of, that we need to be aware of when it comes to snares of the decisions that we make. The first one is the snare of compromise. Take your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter number 23. The snare of compromise. We have an election coming up in just a few months. And I'm pretty certain, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain that I'm smart enough to recognize the fact that no matter what happens in this upcoming election, it's going to be pandemonium for a few months afterward, maybe even for a few years. I don't know what's going to happen in this upcoming election, but I do know this, that in my lifetime, I've never seen an election in our nation that I believe truly had more dire consequences than the one that we is approaching today. And that's not based upon my political affiliation. That is based upon what I see going on in our nation. Our nation is allowing lawlessness. And that is one of the worst things that we can do as a nation is to allow lawlessness. When we lose, listen, we've already lost the foundation of the home. We've already lost the foundation of marriage. We've already lost the foundation of the sanctity of life in our nation. But when we lose the foundation of authority, there is no coming back. And I'm telling you, 
it is very, very imperative that we get some authority back, even if we don't like the personality of that authority. It's essential. And by the way, what's going on in our nation is not and never has been justifying. Those who say, well, the revolution in our country was just like this. No, it was not. It was not. Not at all. And so don't, don't use the patriots that bled and died for the salvation and the freedom of our nation to justify what's going on in our major cities today. The snare of compromise. In Exodus chapter 23, look with me at verse number 32. God says, Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land. This is speaking about all the inhabitants of the the promised land. We call it Palestine today. God says, They shall make thee sin against me. You know what God's saying? He's saying if you make a league with them, if you allow them to live among you, they will corrupt you. Why is it that Christians today think that we can live among the heathen and we can live among the world and be just like the world and it not affect our morals and our values and our relationship with Christ? We cannot. God says, don't allow it. Don't compromise. You know what the average believer today thinks more, he worries more about what everybody thinks of him than he worries about pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, well, I don't want them to think that I'm holier than thou. I don't want them to think that I'm better than them. Listen, it's not about pride. It's not about being better. It's about living our lives in a way that we are coming out from among them and being separate. You can't, like they say, you cannot sleep with the dogs without waking up with fleas. It's just not possible. God knows it. He knows human nature. Why do we think that we're smarter than God? You know, I've seen it time and time again. You talk about major decisions in life. Some of the major decisions are the decisions we make regarding marriage, the decisions that we make regarding money, the decisions that we make in all these major areas in our life. You know, I see young people that go and they they marry somebody that's not saved or not spiritual, or they date them and they think, well, I can get away with it. And you know, I see so many foolish decisions and the consequences thereof. That person that's not saved is not going to have the same morals and the same values. And if a believer says, well, you don't understand, they have, they have stronger morals and values than I do. Shame on you, Christian. How in the world could we say that a lost person who doesn't know Christ is a better person or at least an equal person to the child of God? Something seriously wrong with your testimony if that's you. And we think, oh, well, I can get away with it. And you know what happens? A young person will go and, and, and be around intimately and, and just totally ignore God's mandate, God's admonition to not be physical. I mean, listen, a boy and a girl has no business being physical with one another unless they're married. 
I was not happy with that amen. A boy and a girl have no business being physical with one another unless they are married to each other. That's the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. Read it for yourself. And so what happens is young people make decisions. Well, I'm going to go on a date. I'm going to spend private time with this person. And you know what? That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. I can, uh, I can get a little bit touchy. Uh, I can get a little bit kissy, and we'll just stop at that. And you know what happens? The flesh, the human nature says, ooh, I don't want to stop at that. And so they take it just a little bit further, and oh, I'll just stop there. And then they take it just a little bit further. Next thing you know, they couldn't stop it because their flesh couldn't stop it. You violated God's admonition when God says, protect yourself from the heathen, and you thought you knew better than God, and what happens? You end up with an unwed pregnancy and a snare that you're having to struggle to try to get out of for the rest of your life. Listen, folks, God says don't compromise. To compromise is to meet halfway. It's coming to terms by giving up part of a claim. You don't have to give up any of the promises of God. God says, I will bless you. I will make your life good. He didn't say, I'll make your life perfect. But listen, doing right is always going to have better consequences than doing wrong. Always. Benjamin Franklin said, those who give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. On a spiritual side, I know Benjamin Franklin was talking about our nation. He wasn't talking about spiritual things. But listen, that is true when it comes to spiritual things as well. Oh, I'll just give in to the flesh just a little bit. And then the devil will quit bugging me. Or, or if I just give in, then my appetite will be uh, satisfied. And then I won't have this struggle going on all the time. It never works that way. The flesh always wants more. Never compromise by giving in to those temptations. When we compromise, first of all, compromise affects others. You know, in Joshua chapter number 7, we read about Achan. Of course, the children of Israel went into Jericho. God miraculously just felled the walls. They came in. They destroyed the whole city. God had told them beforehand When you go in, I don't want you taking any spoil. I want you to destroy everything. And if there's anything of any value, it's going to be dedicated to the Lord. It's not for you. Now, God had many battles that that were to come that God was going to say, hey, if you go in and, I mean, you're fighting and you go to war, then everything that they have will be yours. But not this battle. And Achan saw a wedge of gold. And he saw a Babylonian garment, and he coveted them. He liked them, and he thought, it's just one thing. You know, God's not talking about just little things. He's talking about, you know, the whole thing. So I'm, I'm a nobody. What did Achan do? He took those things. He hid them in his tent. And the next thing you know, Israel is going against a little teeny tiny town like Ai. I mean, this would be the equivalent of... Um, who won the Super Bowl last year? I don't or this year. I don't, help me, somebody. 
This would be like Kansas City going up against a local high school. I won't name names. I started to say the Panthers against a local high school, but I don't know what's going on with the Panthers. So it might not be that good of an illustration. But, but you know, a pro team going against a high school team, it wouldn't even be a contest, would it? And yet, Israel goes out against Ai, and Joshua and the, 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 the leaders all of a sudden see all of their soldiers come running back. And Ai just completely cleans their clock. Why? Because God was not fighting for Israel. Israel didn't realize that the defeat of Jericho had nothing to do with them. It had to do with their God. You know, when we compromise, we start taking God for granted. And we're going to see throughout the rest of this sermon, we're going to see a lot of it comes with just being presumptuous and taking God for granted. A lot of people died because of Achan's sin. Our compromises affect others. Secondly, compromise has its natural consequences. We read there where God said to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Don't let them live among you. They'll be a snare to you. And then we read in the book of Judges, chapter number 1, that there were incomplete victories where the children of Israel would go in and they would fight against those inhabitants of the land, but they'd save some of them alive. Well, and, and they'd reason it out. Well, we'll just make them servants. We'll make them do all of our dirty work. And that didn't work because they still had their religion They still had their beliefs, and they were still among them. And even while they're going and fetching their water, you know, I I guarantee you, this is probably how some of it played out. You know, here's a little, here's a Israelite family, and you know, so the 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 mama says, "Hey, um, uh, Mr. Gibeonite, go out and fetch me some water." And so the Gibeonite said, "Gets the bucket and and." uh, the little son, seven-year-old son says, can I go with them? I want to see the creek. And so they go down to the creek with them, and while they're fetching water, they begin to have a conversation. Well, my God says this. Well, well, my God, he, my God isn't that mean and restrictive. My God lets me do that. And what happens? Little Johnny comes back to home, and all these little doubts and question marks and seeds are sown in his mind. And by the time that little Johnny has his own little family, then he's not even going. He's not even going to the synagogue. He's not even learning the scripture. Why? Because they compromised. They didn't do what God said. In Joshua 23, verse number 13, the Bible says, Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. You know why God says that? God says, I'm not going to do it for you because you won't do what I say. Why would we expect God to do the things for us when God's told us, what to do. Incomplete obedience is nothing more than compromise. 
And compromise, number three, is disobedience. In 1 Samuel 15, God told Saul, specifically, I want you to slay all of the Amalekites. Saul had a little bit different understanding. Well, we saved the best of the flock because, God, we're going to offer it in sacrifice to you. Saul had a very superstitious, immature, selfish view of God. God doesn't need or want sacrifice. God wants our obedience. And you know what? If you're living a sinful, wicked life and you're putting money in the offering plate, don't think that that money's offsetting any of that disobedience. You can't buy your way out of sin. If that's the way that you think at all, you should probably go and become a Roman Catholic because that religion would fit you just a little bit better. Yeah, I can do this and do that, and I can still do the sins that I want. I'll just make up for it in this religious activity. Listen, that is, that's paganism, folks. This prayer is read every Sunday at West Point Chapel. Uh, at least it was a few years ago. I hope it still is today. Make us choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong, and never to be contented with half-truth when whole truth can be won. Endow us with courage that is born of loyalty to all that is noble and worthy, that scorns to compromise with vice and injustice, and knows no fear when right and truth are in jeopardy. We need more Christians that have that type of a mentality at the basis, at the heart of our being. John Bunyan the great writer of Pilgrim's Progress and a great preacher of his day. He was cast into jail, into prison, because he refuses. He refused to take a license to preach. He, he said, look, God called me to preach. I'm not a servant of your denomination. And he would not take their license, and he continued to preach. They threw him in prison, and he said this, if you let me out today... I shall preach again tomorrow. What were they doing? They were trying to say, look, we'll let you out of prison if you'll just stop preaching. He said, no, you let me out today, I'll be preaching tomorrow. We need more of that kind of uncompromising character among God's people today. Secondly, let's talk about the snare of commitments. Turn to Proverbs chapter number 6. The snare of commitments. We see an example here of a commitment that would be a foolish commitment in Proverbs chapter number 6. Now, some of the terminology that is used in this chapter is terminology that we don't typically use in modern culture. The term surety, we're getting ready to read, surety would be like, the example would be co-signing for someone else's loan. And um, listen, I, I know that uh, there are times when uh, business dealings among brethren can be a good thing, but I also know that they can be disastrous. And let me just throw this your way just so that you be cautious with business dealings with brethren. For every success that I know of, I can probably count about eight to ten massive failures. And so approach it. I'm not saying it's forbidden, but um, I would say this, be wise and protect 
yourself and the friendship and the relationship and deal with things ethically and up front and um, do the best you can because um, the deck is certainly stacked against you. In Proverbs 6, verse number 1, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, that, that would be like a, a handshake. We, we sign contracts today, but it hasn't been that many years ago that if you had a business deal, you shook hands on it. Your word was all that was necessary. Thou hast stricken hand with a stranger. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. You know what God's saying? He's saying the friendship is more important than the business dealing. I read in Joshua chapter number 9. In fact, turn there with me. Turn to Joshua 9. That Joshua foolishly made a commitment, a league with the Gibeonites. And of course, the Gibeonites were one of those Canaanite nations that God said that Israel should drive them out and slay them from the land. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, in Joshua chapter number 9, the Gibeonites plot this plan. And they they put on all these old clothes and they get a bunch of stale, moldy bread. And they show up when Israel crosses over Jordan and starts to take over the land of, of uh, Canaan. And they show up, and they give him this uh, really good performance. Oh, we're from a long ways away, and we came. We heard about you, how wonderful you are, and how strong and mighty your God is. And uh, did I mention that we came from a long ways away? Oh, yeah, yeah, we did mention that. And so we heard about how great you are, and we want you as friends and uh, we want to have a league between us because we... Did we mention we came from a long, long ways away? And Joshua and the princes of Israel... Look at it with me in verse number 8. It says, And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country. And so... <laughs> That's exactly what I just described as what's going on. But watch here. Let's skip down for sake of time. And look at verse number 14. It says, And the men, the men are the princes of Israel. It says, They took of their victuals, their victuals, and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them and let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Now, Joshua's heir, number one, the biggest problem that we see in this narrative is that Joshua did not seek counsel from God. He walked by sight. He trusted what he saw instead of by faith and saying, God, what do you think about it? Listen, I, I, I was thinking just the other day how many times that I have made decisions in ministry against my gut. And just said, well, you know what? I'm just going to take 
this person or this situation at face value, even though my gut is all knotted up, all of my discernment is just, I mean, it's going, boo, 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 boo. I mean, red flags, yellow flags, all those flags. It's like, hey, something's not right here. Well, you know, we can't go by feelings. But I've had times when I have made decisions and in most, almost every one of those cases, I've learned to live to regret those decisions. It's like, you know what? That gut feeling, it came from the Holy Spirit. And I should have listened to it. Why God was trying to say, no, 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 no. Don't do that. And what am I doing? I'm sticking my head in the sand and just believing, you know, this pie in the sky or everything will be, be just fine. We can make this work. And uh, I should have listened to that voice inside. Because, you know, if you've been saved any length of time, you've kind of learned from experience when that knot in your gut is just human anxiety and when it's the Holy Spirit trying to say, mm, this is not good. That, that discernment, it, it's a very real thing. And the closer that we walk to the Lord, the more that we can tune in to that discernment. But Joshua didn't seek the Lord's counsel. And secondly, I think what was going on in this story is that Joshua was influenced by others. I think that instead of Joshua taking the reins and being the leader, he had all the princes of Israel saying, oh, come on, we need to make a league with them. And probably what was going on is, uh, I mean, put yourself in Israel's shoes. Nobody likes them. Everybody hates them. You know, that's been their history from day one. Nothing's changed. Everybody hates the Jews, it seems like. And, and Israel, it's like Egypt hated them. Egypt tried to destroy them. God destroyed Egypt. I mean, and they thought, well, surely we're going to come out and they know that God's on our side and they're going to come out and they're going to say, we want to be your friend. But no, they all want to destroy them. I mean, even their cousins, even Moab and Ammon, they know, we don't like you. We don't want you around here. Go back to Egypt where you came from. Even Edom, their brother, Edom, their brother came out against them in battle. And so I think that the princes of Israel had a little bit of a complex, and it's like, here's our chance to have a, have a friend. And they listened to that social and emotional need rather than seeing past it and seeing there's a bigger picture here. If we're going to make a commitment, if we're going to make a league, we're not going to do it this quick. We're going to give this some time. We're going to give it some prayer and some patience. I guarantee you, if Joshua and the princes of Israel would have given it 24 more hours, God would have showed up and said, hey, don't make a league with them. They're your neighbors. They, they live right down the road from you. But they didn't give God time. They just plowed forward, hoping for the best, pie in the sky, and they did not seek counsel from the Lord. And yet the Lord, even though they were deceived, God held them accountable for their commitment. In fact, later on, we find that King Saul, in his zeal, I mean, King Saul knew the story. And King Saul thought, you know what? They fooled Joshua. 
they ain't fooling me. So Saul started killing them. But God honored that league, that commitment that Joshua made and what Saul was doing. While it would have been obedience prior to that commitment, now it was very much against God. And so God sent a famine in the land. 2 Samuel 21, verse number 1, there was a famine in the land of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. What happened later on in Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 21? Uh, David goes to the Gibeonites and says, what can, what can we do to make this right, to get this curse off of us? And they said, we want seven sons of Saul. We want you to slay them and hang them on a tree. Well, David took seven of Saul's grand youngins, and they slew them and hung them on a tree. And of course, one of them, Mama's out there just trying to you know, get all of the, the, the ravens and the crows away, and she's weeping. you got some mamas that are heartbroken, you got, you, you got some really, really dire consequences. Why? Because of the commitment. It all stems back to the decision that Joshua foolishly made in making a commitment without inquiring of the Lord. Every, please listen to this, folks. Every major decision we make has a major and a lasting consequence on our children. I, I'm not going to give you all the details um, for sake of time, but back in 1980, my father made a decision to move us from the state of Idaho to the state of North Carolina. My dad went two years at Fruitland Baptist Bible Institute. I believe, Brother Carl, you went to school there. From 80 to 82, we lived here in the state of North Carolina. My sister got married while we were here and stayed here. After dad finished Bible school, we went back to Idaho. We were there for um, a couple of years, and uh, the Lord brought us back to the state of North Carolina. I ended up marrying my wife. And listen, my life, my life and so many things about it have been changed in major ways that I couldn't even take time to describe today all because of that decision that my dad made to move us across the country and go to Bible school. Now, I look back in the first years of that, there was some really, really bad negative things that took place. But after I got right with the Lord, I will say this, for me personally, God worked out some really wonderful things. I thank God that God worked in my circumstances and gave me the wife that he did and the family that he's given me. And I look back and I see all those decisions, North Carolina and Idaho and all these major decisions, and I see whether it be good or whether it be evil, I see that every decision that my parents made and that I have made have had dire major consequences, lasting consequences on our children. So we need to be very, very careful and very, very cautious Make sure that the major decisions that we make in life, that we have beyond any shadow of a doubt, the mind of God. That brings us to number three, and I'm, I'm trying to hurry, folks. I'm almost done. Uh, 
Let's talk about the snare of carelessness. In Judges chapter number 8, and for sake of time, I won't ask you to turn there, but in Judges chapter number 8, a man by the name of Gideon has just slew the Midianites, or the Midianites have been slain in battle. Israel has been freed, and they want to make Gideon a king. And Gideon says, look, I don't want to be your leader. I don't want to be a king. And they said, well, what can we do for you? Gideon said, break off all of the golden earrings from the Midianites and, uh, and give those to me. And Gideon took all of that gold and he took it to the smith and he had a golden ephod made of. That's a religious, uh, uh, a religious, uh, article, if you will. And so, um, that, that ephod, the Bible says in, there in Judges chapter number 8 that it became a snare to Gideon. Why? Because the children of Israel took that ephod and they made it an idol. In fact, the, the book says here that the children of Israel went a-whoring after it. It became a religious idolatry, religious adultery, if you will. And so they went whoring after it, and it became a snare. Now, when you think about this, here is a man, Gideon. This is the same man who previously needed multiple miraculous manifestations before he would make a single move. I mean, he's, the, the angel showed up and, uh, and, and took the rod and touched the sacrifice. It, it was consumed. After that, Gideon says, well, you tell you what, let's take this fleece out here, and if it's wet on the fleece and dry on the ground, then I'll know that God's spoken. And, and then when that didn't, wasn't enough, God, Gideon said, let, let the fleece be dry but the ground wet. I mean, Gideon was the same man, before he would make a single move, he had to make sure beyond any shadow of a doubt that God was in it. Why, after the battle was won, would Gideon want to make this ephod without even inquiring of the Lord? What do you have here? You have a snare of carelessness. Now, Gideon's pride was, it couldn't have been from the battle because in that battle, Gideon did very little. They broke their pitcher. They shouted the sword of the Lord in Gideon, and all the enemy just basically started killing each other. So I'm not sure what Gideon's pride was about, but Gideon, he became very presumptuous of God's blessings. Now, folks, I, I, this is what I believe, that most Christians, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know the statistic. There are a lot of Christians that uh, their life gets hijacked by sin. I understand that, sin and temptation. But there are probably as many believers that it's not adultery, murder, theft, and all those things that really get the believer. It's the sin of carelessness, the sin of presumption, thinking that, well, whatever I do, you know, Romans 8, 28, God's going to bless it. Listen, God does took, take and work things together for good. But we dare not ever presume that. And sometimes believers just get careless. Sometimes we ask God to bless what we're doing when we need to do what He's blessing. 
Just like with King Saul, Gideon acted as though he was above the law. And that mentality can creep in so easily. Sometimes a little success can ruin a man, produces pride, it produces apathy. You know, David and Bathsheba, what a horrible, horrible thing. But David's problem started with the same problem that Gideon had. He just got careless. He was supposed to be out in the battle, but instead he sent Joab and he stayed home. And that night he's up on the rooftop and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And boy, that lust of the eye got a hold of him. And that lust just continued to fester and to develop and grow until David began doing things that I guarantee you five years earlier, he never would have even imagined that he could have done them. The sin, the snare of carelessness. One man said it like this, It's a shame when success turns a person's head, it does not also wring his neck just a little. It's kind of like a certain pond where two ducks and a frog lived. And this pond begins to dry up, And of course, the ducks, they didn't have any problem with that. They could just go fly to a new pond. But their friend, the frog, what are we going to do with our friend? And so they all got together and they came up with an idea. Look, one duck will take a stick in his bill and the other duck will take the other end of the stick in his bill. And the frog can just grab a hold of the stick with his mouth and hang on and we'll fly to the new pond. And so they did. They're flying to the new pond, and here's these two ducks with a stick and a frog, and they fly over a farmer, and the farmer looks up and he says, what a cool idea. I wonder who thought of that. The frog said, I did. Splat. (laughs) Most people aren't aware that The early morning of Pearl Harbor, there was a radar station that saw all kinds of dots showing up on the radar. Early Sunday morning, and so they they call a lieutenant, and they tell the lieutenant what they saw, and he said, oh, that's there's no way, that's got to either be a malfunction, maybe it's just uh, airlines, air traffic, and so forth, and they said, well, what do you want us to do? And he said, and I quote, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Folks, consequences of careless decisions, they can certainly bring a snare. In conclusion, in conclusion, Proverbs chapter number 5 and verse number 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins." He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Many of the snares in our life are self-inflicted and highly consequential. I end with this quote. I don't know who said it, but it's a pretty good quote. He said, a bad mistake early in life will often make a man if he has the makings of a man. Folks, I totally understand and recognize that there's not a single one of us that at some point in our life we have not committed the mistake, made a decision out of carelessness, 
or perhaps maybe a commitment or a compromise that we never, ever should have made and we live to regret. I've had times in my life when I have seen God miraculously bail me out of a mess that I've made. And I've seen other times where God said, no, son, you're just going to have to live with these consequences. Uh, You're going to have to learn your lesson the hard way. Every single one of us can look back and we've made some major mistakes. In fact, if we were honest with ourselves, there would probably be something in our past, a major decision that if we really did inventory, we'd say, wow, that decision, the impact that it has made in the direction of my life, wow, one little, one little decision and the trickle effect that has really defined my entire life. Many of those we cannot go back and we cannot undo. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can learn. We can learn. And we can grow. And we can become wise. And not be careless. Not make commitments. And understand that today's compromises are tomorrow's disasters. You know what's going on in our nation today telling you what, compromise is not the answer. Compromise will, we are reaping the results of compromise. What we need to do is we need to get back to truth and right and stand for that. Cannot undo our past, but I'll tell you what we can do. We can start today doing the right thing, doing the wise thing, doing the patient thing, because God wants. God has principles and God has understanding that will lead us and guide us if we'll just let him do it. Satan's going to lay those snares. They're going to be invisible. He's going to use your tendencies against you. He's very good about that. But we don't have to be bound by our natural tendencies, but rather we can follow the will of God and the leadership and protection of his principles and the Holy Spirit.